The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. A seed can become an orchard. A little pebble can disrupt an entire lake. Something that is finite and terribly small can grow into something infinitely vast and unmeasurable. And it makes total sense. There are rules at work in nature, effects that we can see all around us. Today I wanted to illustrate one of those effects. Something I've not tried before, and so we're going to have a little experiment today. Remember, I haven't done this, so we're going we're to see how this goes. One of the illustrations I want to give you, or an effect I want to show you, is called the butterfly effect. Let me give you some background. A meteorologist named Edward Lorenz... Uh, he was one of these guys that set up computer models to predict weather patterns. And so they, have, they, they take and calculate uh, weather and wind and, and on one side of the planet, and then they measure how it impacts the results of the weather somewhere else. And so over time, they create a meteorolo- meteorological computer predictions. And so the idea is, this is what's going on right now all around the globe. They're measuring the weather and wind to tell you what's going to happen somewhere else. And so uh, in his research, what he would do is he would set his computer uh, program to round off fractions within their measurements. The idea being that these fractions were so minuscule, so minute, that there's no possible way those tiny little uh, fractions could have any impact around the globe. So one day, though, before he left, he forgot to... uh, make sure that it rounded off those fractions. And so when he came in the next day and his computer ran the program, uh, what he discovered was that those minute fractions had a profound impact on the outcome of the weather predictions. And thus, what he realized was the measurement as minuscule as the puff of wind that would be generated by the flap of a butterfly's wing could so dramatically change the weather predictions and the weather outcome on the other side of the earth that it could be said that the butterfly flap could generate a hurricane halfway around the globe. Thus, it became called or known as the butterfly effect. Now, what does that look like, though? What does that mean? The meaning which could be applied to our lives, is simply this. That something that is terribly small can have unseen, unnoticeable effects and yet have an incredible impact halfway around the globe. And so an easy way to illustrate this so that you go, yeah, I get it, would be this. So this is our little illustration. We're going to show you how uh, just making a slight change can dramatically change the outcome. And so here it is. These are two pretty much similar things, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go look at this, and we're going to watch how they swing. What I want you to watch for is the way they swing. Ready? There it is. That's a butterfly effect. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so what you saw was these two things dropped at a similar angle did nearly the same thing. Everybody agrees so far? All of you on video, you agree so far, right? Everybody shake their head. Okay, now watch this. So all I'm going to change is I'm going to raise the degree or the angle at which I'm going to drop, okay? So watch this. We're going to go up to here, and we're going to drop it. 
And what you should quickly notice is that they did totally different things. Okay. Hey, those of you on video, I get it. You're like, hey, Patrick can't even hear me. Hey, for you, I want you guys to help me. I want you to clap really loud and get excited. All right, let's do this one more time. Ready? Watch this. Ready? We're going to watch, right? Pretty much the same thing. Okay, right? Video, I'm talking to you guys right now. Like, you're going to like, woo! You're going to help me out because the live audience, they're not helping me at all. All right, here we go. Now, watch, right? Hey, you guys got to outdo them. All right, so here we go. What's the point, right? The point is not that they did different things because I put them in a different angle. The point is this right here. One reacted differently than the other one did, and, you, and nobody knows why. Meaning we can't look at the, the most minute little thing at work in each of the mechanism causing one to flip one way and the other to flip a different way. The point is... There are these tiny little things at work in our life. Tiny, minuscule, little things that are impacting us regularly that we have no idea are impacting us, and yet they have dramatic outcomes. These are, in essence, what you could say are the butterfly effect at work, not just in nature, but in relationships, in our emotions, our minds, and yes, even in the spiritual realm. And what I want to focus on for, a, a, for this time here is one of the, these powerful, uh, minuscule, unseen effects at work in our life are the result of words. Words are like a butterfly effect. They're, they're like seeds that get planted, that grow. And, and when you first plant it, you have no idea what it's going to grow into. But over time, in enough seasons, it grows. And it, it, it not only does, you know, right, it germinates and it produces more seeds. And those seeds fall back in the ground. They grow up. And eventually, over time, the tiniest word can spread and have a profound impact on our lives. So I can remember one of a leader that had a significant voice and authority in my life. And the decisions I would make about whether I could start a church or not, look me, look me in the eye from across the table and said, you will fail talking about whether or not I could effectively start a new church in the city of Hagerstown. And to this day, I can play that moment over in my mind. And every time I feel like a failure, every time I feel like giving up, it, it just quickly comes right to my mind. And, and some of you, you're like me, you can remember a, a, a mean nickname classmates gave you. And here we are, grown people, grown adults, who can still replay a locker room experience and still try to prove to people that we haven't seen in a long time that we're not that person, that we're not that name that they called us. It, we can replace something our parents said or a friend said or a classmate said, a teammate said, and it, and it, and it grows and it germinates, and it spreads, and it produces incredible impact a generation later. And words are powerful. They are the butterfly effect of relationships, of our emotions and mind, and yes, even in the spiritual realm. And so I want to switch over and 
Look at the life and teachings of Jesus as captioned and recorded by this guy named Luke. There was this season in Jesus' teaching, two years in, where Jesus suddenly dramatically changes how he teaches. If you've ever read the, the, the writings that other authors record about the life of Jesus, you'll notice this switch where one day Jesus just totally changes his methodology in preaching. Up to this point, he preaches very plainly, very boldly, very clearly about who he is, about who God the Father is, and about his kingdom that he is inviting people to participate in. But one day, in the second year of his ministry, he only ministered for three years, he dramatically changes, and so let me tell you why. That morning, he had gone out and he was teaching, he was healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. There was even a man who was haunted by his inner demons and real demons. Jesus healed the man. He was suddenly free from the demons that possessed him. Then the crowd flocked around him, and he continued to teach plainly. As the crowd pressed in, Jesus got into a boat and told his friends, let's go over to the other side. He fell asleep in the back of the boat as they were sailing. A great storm hit. His, his disciples' friends were terrified, and so they said, Jesus, don't you even care about us? We're all going to die. And he woke up, and he calmed the storm. They arrived to the other side where they were abruptly confronted by a guy who spent his life living among the tombs, cutting himself with rocks, and met Jesus naked. And this man was known for being uh, consumed with evil and hate. And he had demons that drove him. And the demons spoke out to Jesus. Who are you, the son of God? And Jesus rebuked the demons, cast them all out of the man. The demons ran, jumped onto a herd of pigs that then ran off a cliff and died. Jesus got back in the boat, sailed back across the Sea of Galilee, where he was then met by the crowd and continued to teach. But when he got to the other side, the crowd of people that met him included some religious professionals, the religious elite. And that day they, they confronted Jesus and they said, the only reason you're able to do these powerful things is because you are a friend of Satan and you're able to cast out demons because you have a demon in you. Jesus steps back. You could almost see him shaking his head at their willingness to ignore what was obvious in front of them, that God had become a man. And Jesus says to them, they are, you're so spiritually blind. Your hearts are so hardened to truth that you are willing to concoct evil in your thinking to pervert what is clearly in front of you. And that is that it's obvious that the power of God is at work in me, driving out demons, but you would rather say that I have a demon in me because it confronts your own hate and evil and religious hardness. And that moment, Jesus began to change how he taught. He changed because he said this. He said, I am going to hide from those of you that are spiritually blind the obvious truths of the kingdom of God. And so he began to tell what were called parables, stories that were simple little illustrations that profoundly revealed the deep truths of the kingdom of God. 
And while these stories are obvious and easy to understand for anybody, they required you to listen and want to hear. And so the reason Jesus shifted to telling stories was to make it clear that those that were spiritually blind were not going to understand the obvious truths that Jesus was teaching. And so Jesus, uh, the first story he teaches is this one. While the large crowd, this is recorded in Luke chapter 8, while the large crowd was gathering and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled. And the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants, I'm sorry, when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, and it came up, and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And so Jesus tells this really simple little story about a farmer going out to sow his seed, and some seed falls out of his sack and falls on a, onto the path, some falls on rocky soil, some falls among uh, what would later become thorns, and then others he plants in the good soil. And then he concludes his story, and he says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And there it is. In one little sentence, Jesus captures the whole point. The point of his methodological shift, how he changed his teaching, he, he, in one sentence, explains the whole point of his story. And he captures for us the power of the butterfly effect. And you go, hmm? How did Patrick just connect a meteorologist named Edward Lorenz and a little puff of wind coming from a butterfly, a little swinging pendulum, to Jesus' words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here is the point of what Jesus is saying. Here is the challenge we hear and the way he confronted the religious professionals. It's this. This is the challenge, and this is what I want to encourage you to write down as you take notes. And by the way, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's basically what I'm saying Every time I say, hey, pull out, pull out a, pen, a pen, take notes, pull out your smartphone, write this in your smartphone or type it in your tablet, put this on social media. What I'm saying is, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. I, I'm, okay, so now you should feel a little bit challenged by that. Here is Jesus' point. Prepare, I need to prepare my heart to hear. There it is. I have to prepare my heart to be willing to hear. Now let's think about words like a seed. We all wish that every word that we received and was planted in our heart was all good words, kind things people said to us. We all wish that what we sowed into others were good seeds that would spread out and become an orchard of fruit of good words and kind words and loving words and encouraging words. But that's just not reality. But why isn't it reality? Why is it that what comes out of us is not good? Why is that what goes in us is not good? So Jesus tells this story, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to continue reading it with you, because after he finishes telling this story, his friends come to him, his disciples. They say, Jesus, we don't understand the story. He's like, 
No, not really. Jesus wouldn't do that. I did. That's what I would do. Uh, here he goes. So he goes like this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And so let's pause right there. What he's saying is, Jesus said, I have come to be the word of God. The word of God captured fully expressed in the person of Jesus. That's the seed. That's the good news of the message of Jesus. Those along the path are the the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so very quickly, he, he describes that he, the word of God, is the seed that gets spread. And that every one of us, our hearts are like the different kinds of soil. So you are the dirt. And so Jesus says that there are different kinds of dirt that, that when the seed lands on it, they, all the different types of soil respond differently. And so he refers to this first kind of soil as people who are so hard that they can never even receive the word of God. It just lands, birds come and pick it up, the devil, and it never ever takes root, it never grows, it never germinates, it doesn't accomplish anything in their lives. And he's talking about specifically these religious leaders that are so angry at him, so hateful, that they absolutely can't see the obvious in front of them. And, and so it'd be easy to go, well, their hearts are hard, but I'm not a religious elite. But the story is about every one of us. And the fact that all of us have hard soil in our hearts. And, and the reason is the same reason why bad words come out. And we receive bad words in the soil of our heart. And it's because of this, this thing called sin. Jesus is talking specifically about how sin hardens our heart and makes us unreceptive to God's word, to the message of Jesus Christ. And so this really gets to the point of why Jesus came. To confront our sin and the hardness of our hearts. Sin is what Jesus and other biblical authors refer to as this instinct to reject God and to turn our own way. Sin starts us out on a course of life headed toward destruction, ruin, and eternal judgment. And this is why Jesus came. To begin to plow the soil of hard hearts, to make sure that his seed lands in fertile soil. And so the mission of Jesus was to prepare our hearts, but we have to become a partner in the preparation so that we will readily receive this life-giving word. And so what does Jesus do? He takes this destruction that we deserve for sin. He takes the eternal judgment that was placed on every one of our lives, and he willingly goes to the cross in our place. You think, I don't deserve to go to the cross. No, actually, you and I deserve far worse than death. We deserve eternal judgment. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just physically die. He absorbed the eternal judgment we deserve because this perfect God-man willingly embraces our sin and our judgment so that all judgment against sin is poured onto Jesus so that never again would a person have to die in their sins if only they would willingly receive the seed of the message of Jesus and allow that seed to grow. They would receive new life and true life and eternal life. And when we believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit comes into our spirit and makes us truly and eternally alive. And you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you just receive it. 
And this is the whole point of Jesus' story. In fact, he continues. Those on the rock, meaning the seed that landed on the rock, are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. Another way he says it in another translation, in a time of persecution, in a time of trouble, they fall away. The seed fell among the thorns, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed that on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop." In my hand, I have some seeds. I want you guys to, we're going to zoom in on this so you can see it. These are the seeds of sequoia trees. If you've ever had the privilege of being in California to see the great sequoias, some of these species of redwoods can grow nearly 400 feet high. Now, you can't quickly picture that, and so let me illustrate. If you've ever seen a 40-story building, that's what we're talking about here. And so wide, f- almost 40 feet wide, so they can hollow it out, and you could drive a semi-truck through it. And they can live up to 3,000 years. One of the longest living uh, things on earth. And every year, a mature sequoia tree will produce 400,000 seeds. And so over the lifetime of a sequoia tree, it could produce 1.2 billion seeds, all from one tiny seed the size of a tomato seed. This is what God wants to plant in our lives. He wants to plant this little seed that grows up. But in order for us to brightly receive the seed of God's word, we have to be willing to prepare our hearts so that the seed plants and how you hear It's like the butterfly effect. It can have an incredible impact. Words can have power in our lives. So we have to be willing to receive them well. And so that's what I want to challenge you with. How do you prepare your heart to hear? Well, let me me lay this out for you. First thing I want to challenge you to do is this. Repent. You need to write out. I need to repent in my heart. That's kind of the whole point of Jesus' story. He's speaking to people and he's, He's hoping that everyone who hears this, as he talks about a sower sowing seed, would realize, I need to make sure my heart is ready to receive the seed of the good news of God's love. Which means I have to ask this fundamental question. What is the condition of my heart? What's the condition of your soul? Is your heart in right relationship with God? Just simply ask yourself, maybe even right now, what is the condition of my heart? What are, the, what are the areas of my heart that are hard? And then let's just keep going. With that question in mind, let me show you three areas that we have to consider if we're going to repent in our hearts. The, the, the first area would be this, and, and Jesus tells it in his story. As the farmer went out to sow seed, he scattered seed, and some fell along the path. It was trampled on And the birds of the air ate it up. And Jesus' point was that there are some people whose hearts are as hard as a well-trodden path. And so the first thing is I have to soften my heart. I have to repent of the hard areas in my heart. There are times 
when you have seen something on the news, on Facebook or social media, maybe you've heard a sermon, and as you heard it, it made you harden up. You, you got a little bit, you, you clenched your fist a little bit. You, your heart got a little bit hard. And what Jesus is speaking to is those hard areas in our life, and we need to repent. Say, God, forgive me of those hard areas where even if God's truth landed on it, it would never grow. And some of you right now, you believe in Jesus even, but God's word is landing on certain areas of your life and it's not growing and you're frustrated and you're wondering what is wrong with me? What's wrong is it's time for you to repent of the hard areas in your heart and ask God to soften your heart. Where, where right now are you hardened? And then let me continue. Jesus in his story says, some fell on, rock, on the rock and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. You know how like you go on a hike and maybe you're climbing on rocks or whatever and you see like where there's some moss growing and seed lands on it. There's a little tree that grows up, but a tree can never mature. Plants, you can't grow crops on rock. And what's the point? Jesus is saying that because there's not enough moisture, the sun will scorch it. And he's talking about superficial hearts. And, and the point is, if I'm going to repent in my heart, I have to not only soften my heart, but I have to deepen my heart. Some of us, he, here is where Jesus is going, and he, and he explains this. He goes, the, the first moment there's trouble, their life just, their faith withers away. Because they believed in Jesus because they thought it was all going to be fun. It was going to be good. It was going to be enjoyable. Everything was going to be great. He was going to give me my raise. He was going to give me that promotion. I, he was going to give me the spouse I wanted or a different spouse that I want. He was going to make everything better. And the moment everything doesn't get better, I don't need this Jesus. I don't need God. The moment my life goes, goes wrong, I blame God for it. And that's exactly who Jesus is talking about. People whose faith disappears the moment life gets tough. And so the only way we're going to survive the difficulties of life with faith in Jesus is if our heart is deepened. If the soil in our heart grows, goes deeper. Well, that requires us to till our heart. Where has your heart grown shallow, superficial? It's time for God to, by his spirit, to till your heart and to loosen up those rocky areas because in that shallow area, God wants to plant his word that he wants to grow up. And, and so we need to allow God right now, God, reveal to me those shallow areas so that you can till my heart and you can allow it to grow. And then the third area is this. He goes, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked, it, choked the plants. Jesus said, here it is. It's this person that looks like they have full-grown faith, but their faith never produces any fruit because the chokes of the, the, the thorns choked it out. And then he explains, he goes, that's the cares of the world. That's the desire for riches. It's being consumed with consuming that will rob your faith of producing anything meaningful. And some of us, we have allowed our faith to grow up alongside of a lot of other bad habits. We've allowed our desire for God to grow up alongside of our desire for stuff. And here's the deal. Remember all this stuff is just going to end up in a yard sale or in the dump someday. That car you just bought is going to end up in a junkyard. That brand new piece of technology is going to end up at a yard sale or it's going to end up worthless, tucked somewhere because you feel embarrassed to throw it away. Right? All this stuff that we're letting be equal to our faith in God is actually of very little value. 
Not no value, but very little value, especially when you compare it to your faith. And so Jesus is making a clear point, and here's what I want to encourage you to write down. I need to guard my heart. So not only do I have to repent in my heart, I have to uh, soften my heart and deepen my heart, I have to guard my heart from being choked, my faith from being choked out by all of the cares of the world around me. Being preoccupied with stuff that doesn't matter. I need to get my priorities right so that God's word can take effect in my life. And then Jesus concludes with this. Still other seed fell on good soil and it came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. The final thing is I need to have an expectant heart. So I thought I would illustrate this a few more ways so that you really, the butterfly effect really sinks in. I talked about this swinging pendulum, the the puff of a butterfly's wing. If you had bought Coca-Cola stock, now you wouldn't have, but maybe your grandparents or great-grandparents or somebody a long time ago, when 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 it first went public in 1919, one stock of Coca-Cola cost $40. If you had bought one stock, now almost 100 years later, it would have grown if you reinvested the dividends on that stock. You want to know what you would have? It would have grown into 272,000 stocks in Coca-Cola, would be worth $12.8 million, and would have grown by 31 million percent. $40 becomes $12.8 million over 98 years if you just keep planting it, if you keep putting it back in the ground, if you just keep re-sowing good seed, it will produce a vast harvest. Now check it out, this sequoia seed, you wanna hear something crazy? These sequoia seeds uh, exist in a, a cone on the square tree the size of a chicken egg. And they can not germinate for over 100 years. Here's what happens. Uh, The National Park Service, in an attempt to preserve sequoia trees, uh, cut out underbrush and did everything they could to prevent forest fires because they were afraid they would burn down all these beautiful sequoias. And what they didn't realize was that in doing that, they actually hurt the germination of any seeds because the fire actually causes the seeds to grow. Check it out. Let me explain. Uh, A a sequoia tree has has bark that's about three feet thick. It's filled with tannic acid, which is a fire retardant that you put into a fire extinguisher. Redwood trees actually have their own built-in fire extinguisher. They don't burn in a forest fire. Now, why does that matter? Because the, the hard cone needs the fire to break it open so the little seeds fall to the ground, and then the fire burns away all the underbrush, creates a fertile ash that the little sequoia seeds need to grow. So by virtue of keeping forest fires at bay, they actually prevented more redwoods from growing, more sequoias from growing. And what, what the point is that we actually, the very fire that you might be resisting may be the fuel that God is using to release his seed to grow in your life. Maybe what he's trying to do is to fertile the soil of your life. Don't fight against the very fuel that God is using to release his blessing, his word that wants to become life-giving in your heart. So we did some math. One kernel of wheat, put it in a little pot. Grow it on your windowsill. 
That, little, that one kernel of wheat will produce 110 kernels of wheat within one season. If you took those 110 kernels of wheat, only about 90 of them are going to grow, and it would require about a, you know, a planter on your porch about this size, and you can grow 90 of them. If you took all the seeds from that plot from the next season and you put it into a garden, it would require a large garden in your backyard. And that garden, if you took all the seeds from that garden, you could actually plant it onto a large, about a one and a half acre plot of land. Now you have to go get another piece of property. It would actually fill a 1.5 acre plot of land. The next season, if you took all of the seed from that and you put it out, it would require 124 acres to plant all of the seed in the, four, in the fifth season. If you took all the seed from that 124 acre farm, by the next season you would be planting 10,000 acres of wheat. It would, it would actually um, financially fund a, an entire, uh, you could hire several employees. It would be an industrial farm. In six seasons, one kernel of wheat could become an industrial farm if you just plant it and till it and take good care of it. And that's what God's word wants to do in your life. If you and I will simply hear his word and let it grow. I need to make this one more. Several years ago, I was in prayer. It was a church service a little bit like this. And I said, God, I'm, I'm not leaving until you tell me what you want me to do with my life. And I realized that moment that you don't, you don't get to force God's hand. I, I prayed, sat around and prayed and didn't know what to say after about an hour and 15 minutes. And then I stood up and uh, just a, a verse came into my heart. I didn't know what it said. I went back to my Bible and I read it. And it said this, the word of the Lord came to me. I went, whoa. So I, I, and I kept reading, before you were born, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. And I went, I think God's calling me into ministry. One word from God changed the entire trajectory of my life. I was in a desperate situation in West Virginia. I was, on, I was in full-time ministry, but I, I was terrified of the next season of life, and I was in a season of fasting and prayer, and I was saying, God, I need you to speak to me. And one evening, God speaks, and he says, go, and I will give you good success. I was praying about whether to come to Hagerstown to start a church, and I opened up Jeremiah chapter 1, where it became, has become one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Uh, Have I not told you, be very bold, be very courageous, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I took that verse, and I said, God, I believe you're speaking to my life, and we, uh, we re- re- relocated our life to Hagerstown, Maryland, to start the seed of a new church. And my point is this, God wants to plant something in your life right now. God wants his word to become life-giving seed in your heart. Some of you, you need to hear for the first time that God loves you and God is for you. And you need to allow the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate through those hard places and those, those shallow places and those choked out places and begin to produce life in you. Others of you, you need to hear from heaven. And so what we're going to do is another experiment. Except just like this one, I I know this one will work. We're going to just pause and let God's spirit speak to you. I believe that God is present right now. God's spirit's among us. God is not far away and distant. Jesus came to reveal that God is nearby. And then he ascended into heaven so he could send his Holy Spirit, so that his Holy Spirit could be as present as Jesus was with his friends. And he's with you right now. And some of you, you need the seed of the word of God to be planted in your hearts. 
Yes, those of you that are with us on video, you're, you're watching me on video. I want you to join me in this right now. And I just want you to still your heart right now. I want all of us to take just a few moments and just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe it's been a long time since you prayed. Maybe it's your first time in church and you're a little bit scared. Maybe you're sitting behind a computer because you're terrified to get into a church. I want you to join me. But those of you behind the computer screens, I want you to quiet your heart right now and just be quiet. And just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Let's do this right now. God is going to become alive in your heart and it's going to change your destiny. It's going to rewrite history. It's going to change forever. The word that God's going to put in your heart and is putting in your heart, it could change not only generations, but it could rewrite eternity. And there is a specific group of you that I want to speak to for just a moment. You have, you, you came in with a hard heart. God's softening your heart right now and he's saying, would you receive this message of Jesus Christ. And for those of you that that's where you're at, that's the position of your heart, I want every, if you could, just right now, everybody just close your eyes for a moment. You're, you're in your personal prayer time. You keep listening to God. But for those of you that this is where you're at right now, I want you to just, I want with everybody else's eyes closed, if that's where you're at, where, God is, where you feel the Spirit of God drawing you to Jesus, and you need to make a decision for Jesus right now, here's what I want you to do. And I, I want you to do this here with us. Those of you that are, that are watching me on video, I want you to follow me, all right? I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. If you're, if you're with us on a computer, I want you to type in and let us know. But right now, I want you to respond by saying, yes, Patrick, that's where I'm at. And you raise your hand. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.